Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Wise Men Say podcast. We're at the ALS Cafe. No Stephen this week, so you've got me, Gareth Parker, steering the ship or something like that, or, or other sort of terrible phraseology you can use for somebody doing something. Um, I'm joined by ALS founders, Martin McFadden. Hiya. And Jez Robinson. Hello. A Wise Men Say podcast debut. As, I it, take, as it turns out. Um, but yeah, so... It's obviously the 30-year anniversary of ALS. I'm sure that uh, most people picked up the um, picked up the the fanzine at the weekend on the way to the game, and will have noticed that is it's all themed around the fact that it's 30 years. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that, and obviously we'll talk about the game at the weekend and uh, the game tomorrow night, a trip to Wembley potentially on the cards. Almost five years to the week, I think it is since we were there last time. Um, so yeah, ALS. Look at you now in your cafe showing off. <laughs> <laughs> Whose idea was that then? Not the cafe, just the magazine. Since you, it was, you know, it was Jez's actually. So, so he let him take it away. He's sort of piggybacking <laughs> on your idea by opening a cafe. Well, I don't know. Like to his credit, he does have a long history of it. Like piggybacking amb- on other people's ideas. No, he had he had, he had an ambition we used to discuss on the way days that, that he, he was nearly the inventor of Subway. Actually, Martin, <laughs> <laughs> he had a, he had a dream of a chain of sandwich shops that sold like fresh salad options. You know and. To be fair to him, this was like 1988, so he was kind of well ahead of his time. Yeah, we wanted so, to sell apples and oranges at the match as well, didn't we? Indeed, you know, and you know, and they even sell apples at McDonald's now, I believe, <laughs> like incredibly. So, yeah, well, well done, you, mate. Has anybody ever taken a piece of fruit at the match? Fruit. If you um, if you if you're saying there's a marketplace for apples and oranges at the match, then I'm I'm assuming you've got a little. Well, Jez's mum back in the day when we were kind of <clears throat> had empty cupboards and. Lived like students because empty wallet students. <laughs> Jess's mum used to like bring us food to the matches and make our packed lunch. So there was probably fruit involved in that, wasn't it? Because that's it was, true. It was that quite, that quite healthy. And also in later days when we were doing the European tours, we sometimes used to have a fruit only day, didn't we? Some kind of like mad detox mission where we'd have one day of the seven where we just had fruit yeah. and water. And Mainly that. to recover from big excesses the night before. Admittedly, that may be the Let's case. Not but we won't dwell on that. So, ALS, fanzine culture at the time, you know, what was that like up and down the country and, and why why we inspired the, to put the magazine together? For people who have probably been reading it since, you know, the start supporting Sunderland people in the in the 20s now will have not known a time when ALS didn't exist and it's always been present at the game when, when I've been going. Um, so, you know, what, what was the inspiration for getting it going? Well... Indeed, well, it's a lovely thought that that it's been going sort of like as long as people have been going the game. That, that means a great deal, I suppose. Um, basically, we lived in an incredibly different world at the time, as I've sort of rambled on at length about in the magazine, um, and there wasn't really an outlook let for fans at all. Like obviously, there's like social media and Twitter and like the the World Wide Web, etc. Now, which is which is great, but at the time, like there wasn't, and. Being a football fan at the time was a bit more of a marginal occupation now. Um, like a lot of people talk about football in the same way they talk about the weather now. You know, like everybody has an opinion on it and wants to talk about it. It wasn't really like that at the time. And there was no kind of alternative to the mainstream media until the sort of fanzine movement, for want of a better word, started. And I think that was the motivation, really. We wanted to create a platform that gave people their chance to have their say, basically, which was which was a rare thing at the time, I think, mate. That's right, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> we used to go to away games and 
seen other people selling these things that weren't programs and bought them and, <clears throat> and thought they were really good and then Jez thought we should definitely have one for Sunderland and I was I quickly realised that meant that we couldn't go to the pub before the game and would have to be sort of moved around by police the way the Tretaway fans at the time so I was kind of dead against it to be honest with you because I was saying football is my social life um, and then wise men say not this podcast but the original Sunderland fanzine came out so I was the way I remember it is pretty it's probably just in my mind it might not be the exact way but when they came out I was like oh well there's one now so you'll shut up about it but he didn't and then and then, and then we went to like Man City or something and they had like five fanzines so all the way home he was going well they've got five we need to have two we're a bigger club than them so then that was kind of and then we spent a lot of time playing pool after hours in a pub that Jez worked in talking about how it could be um, and then eventually, it it happened about a year later. I'd, I'd say, Aye. yeah, like <laughs> we didn't almost know how at the time. Like to be honest with you, but we um, we had the help of a lot of people, didn't we? We, we? we landed in the right place at the right time, and that most of the people that we were knocking about with people who drank in the pub that I worked in at the time were involved in like graphic design, weren't they? And it was the first. It was kind of the dawn of like Apple Macs and that, like really, wasn't it? And proper sort of desktop. It was, yeah. You know? It seems weird to think back now, but it, it was like the first time it had been sort of like accessible and it was possible to go and like sit with somebody. We didn't know how to work it, obviously, but we could sit with somebody and say, we want it to look like this and they could make it look like you wanted to, which mm. at the time seemed almost as, it, you know, like was a, was a revelation, like really, exactly. wasn't it? And there wasn't really much pressure on either because a lot of fanzines were just almost written on a typewriter or some kind of like <clears throat> basic DOS program and then photocopied. So when someone someone said they'd lay it out in the columns and, and not even scan, but like shoot half tones of, of photographs that we'd managed to nick from somewhere, I'll not. Can't, I can't remember where yeah. myself, but <clears throat> we had like one picture of each player, and the, the one of Gary Bennett was there. That's right. And uh, so it was like, oh, look, we've got like a photo library now. We've got one picture of each player. <laughs> and like when you look at it now and think that was the best one we had, <laughs> it, was, it was quite problematic because of his, because of how dark he is. That like the photocopier couldn't couldn't actually handle it. But I've I've told Ben all this and he, he thinks it's quite Aye. funny. So um, yeah, and then <clears throat> we kind of we played Chelsea at home on the twenty first of of March eighty nine, and um, I think me you. And a friend of ours called Barney, who was a Chelsea fan, who have now actually, he's got so sick of us that he's just packed in and decided to become a Sunderland fan. And his children are Sunderland fans, even though he's from down south. He's kind of an unglory hunter, isn't he? Yeah. Like, like watching Chelsea win the league and then... He rejected Chelsea when they, when they got good to support no, Sunderland. Boring, isn't it, though? But he, yeah, exactly. He stood outside the Fulwell end, <clears throat> sort of with his southern accent saying, shouting at people. And we thought, well, he's either going to get like kicked all over... Or he's going to sell loads, and he he sold loads. Yeah. And I don't know, like basically just friends helped us, didn't they? Sell the first they did, co- yeah. couple of yeah, issues, they did. And friends and girlfriends, and and we quickly met people like through doing it, didn't we? Sort of like uh, particularly like a, like a lot of people like from Sunderland who were um, who got involved in the early d- days and are still sort of like friends of ours now. You yeah, know? like kind of um, it really helped, didn't it? Because it like we, we soon realised. Like that, like you actually needed like quite a lot of like copy to do it. I mean, like when you look back at issue one, like it was a couple of years ago. Funny enough, somebody showed us one, and there was a couple of bits where we hadn't like even put anything. You know what I mean? Where they were like blank, sort of like bits of yeah. you know bits of, like where there was like nothing. You know, so um, like with one two and with issues one and two, sorry, we needed people to like help us like just like create content because we're hope would get a response once it was out there and we did mm, didn't we by we the did, time yeah. we got to three i think that was the thing we we set up a p.o box um because that in in those days that's how people did it and we didn't, right, we no. didn't really want to put our home address in either in case someone threw a brick through our window or something we went to the p.o box and it was literally like sackfuls of mail of people like subscribing to the magazine we kind of put it in as an afterthought or like pay for the next five issues and loads of people did Particularly like Southern away games where people weren't getting hardly any information; they were like sort of devouring it, and then <clears throat> and then loads of um, loads of really well written articles because I think the first couple 
were just kind of like us and our mates, like sort of daft stories about uh-huh. going to the match. And we're quite lucky in that, um, like it's been mentioned before, but Gordon Armstrong was, was my best mate growing up at school. And then by that point, he was he was like playing football for Sunderland. So he was just like, well, I'll get all the lads to, obviously no press office or anything in those days. He was just like, well, we'll just go to the pub and I'll bring Benno or Mark or whoever, whoever I plead with to come. So we kind of had like a lot of fanzines were just like sort of a say cut and paste jobs. Whereas we, we had this sort of basic design thing and then we had player interviews. So it was a bit more, it was a bit more like interesting or, or just a bit different to a lot of the other fanzines to the point where I think we were selling a QPR and some guy came up and said like, oh yeah, you're not a proper fanzine because it looks good. And you interview the players. And we um, really liked that, didn't we? We were really <laughs> pleased. Should we, should we make it look bad? <laughs> but yeah, there was loads of fanzines at the time and you'd, you'd end up talking to like the different, you know, the different editors and it was, it was a big scene. I mean, when a Saturday comes had the list of all the fanzines and, and there was, you know, there was, there was hundreds, if not thousands. And, um, I think the city gent and the Latin Orienteer had been like going for quite a while, yeah. even before before people knew what fanzines were. But just like an independent magazine. But apart from that, loads just came out of this, sort of within a, a year or two of each yeah. other. Yeah, it was a lot of effort and <clears throat> dedication, doesn't it? To, to keep something going. I bet you never thought that you'd be sitting there. No, well, I mean, no. I can't take any, I can't take any of the credit for that. Like, really, um, I think that like it's. It's longevity, like certainly, you know, down to your dedication, mate. You know, it's a, it's incredible to be kept well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's just and bloody mindedness at times. To be fair to you, so yeah, you know, exactly. like, well done. You know, I think there was times when after after you do something for a while, whether it's whatever it is, um, the sort of novelty wears off a bit. And um, I remember coming back from a game, thinking I was sick of it, and a lot of people had moved on. And then someone said, well, you can't stop doing it now because it's like not even yours. It's like the fans. And then obviously all the articles that you get in, you know, people are just sending stuff in. You're not, you're not prompting them or, or telling them what you want them to write. It just, it just, it kind of just sort of, it just had this momentum effect really, didn't it? It was like, we didn't expect that it happened. And, um, and I certainly didn't expect it to happen. Um, I mean, it was more, it was more really, um, Jez wanted to do it and, and you wanted to be like, Jez is like naturally a, a really good writer and was looking to go to sports writing. And that kind of like led down that path to Jez ending up being like the Sunderland reporter <clears throat> for the Sunday Sun. Um, yeah, so, quite a few years later, I. So that was really good. But obviously you had to go away and cut your teeth in the middle of nowhere first, didn't you? Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did. It's funny, like, listening to you sort of, like, talk about the early days and that, and I, and I was thinking about it last night because obviously I was, like, knew you were coming on to talk to Gareth and everything. And, like, looking back, I think one of the one of the turning points that I'd forgotten about was um, was the battle that we went through with the council to actually be able to sell it on the street. Like, do you remember? Like one game, I think it might have been issue two we were into. But I like think it was a bit no, It might have been later than that. I tell you what, it no was, problems sorry. had were, and then like all of a sudden, um, weirdly enough, it was the game. It was the Gary Bennett David Speedy game against right. Coventry in the cup, and they brought some extra police in from outside, and um, <clears throat> we'd brought a new issue out for that game because it was like a fifth round cup or something like that, and it seemed like a big exciting thing for you know I haven't been in the third division and stuff at the time and we were playing a top flight team and they basically just arrested us all for selling it even though we've been selling it for like a year or so and um we had to go to the council and um we discovered that the act of parliament for 1967 allowed people to to sell periodicals as long as they were registered with the British Library so you just like send a magazine to the British Library which we've done since and we didn't we we had to the wasn't there some weird regulation about it? it was all right as long as you you weren't using a trailer or something? <laughs> Probably there was like it was some yeah. archival thing, like wasn't it? Yeah, and you weren't causing an obstruction and stuff like that. So like we we then printed off all these things for the for the sellers, but it looked like we might have to stop at that point. Aye, yeah, I'd completely really forgotten did, about it? that. And then I think we went along to the council and waited for for ages for someone to see us, and then eventually someone who was like a Sunderland fan who knew the magazine. I mean, that was the weird thing that like. We didn't really think it would have an effect, but even in the first issue, when we did like 250, 
you were on the bus the next morning and someone was reading the magazine. Ah, uh, it was weird. And and then you're like, oh my god! Like, and then you don't actually realise that people because we didn't really know anybody, did we? We just went to the matches together. True. And um, then all of a sudden, you you know, like loads of people. It's probably been the same with wise men. Say where you meet you meet people becomes like sort of a social thing, and people come up and talk. Um, but yeah, there's been a few court cases over the years, or a few, a few, <laughs> a few sort of brushes with I the law in, in yeah. legal legal companies. I think that there's not many that people are, not many that people haven't tried to sue us. McDonald's, Alan Shearer, Sunderland Football Club. How many Murray. times have Sunderland Football Club tried to sue ALS? Uh, I think I think about eight or nine, depending on whether you class that as Bob Murray or or ALS. But I think I think we are the most sued company or the most sort of litigated company in the history of the of the club. Um, <laughs> but they've never really got us for that much, to be honest with you. It was mainly just sort of defamation and had to give some money to a charity that. Bob Murray supports, which is actually quite a good charity to be honest with you. Although I'd rather have kept the money, <laughs> spent it on beer. But um, we learnt words like allegedly and <laughs> <laughs> according to hearsay and <laughs> through things like that. Yeah, we had some good advisors, and luckily we took their advice. So, situation now, I guess you're talking at the start. You, you know, you, you could speak to Gordon, and he would get people to come and see you. You know, a lot of transitional periods across the game in that time, including you know the introduction of press officers and and you know people able to manage what comes out of the club. Um, you know, now we've got a situation where people like Charlie and and Stuart are actively trying to involve um, people in you know the club in fan media, if you want to call it that. You know, is this the most access you've you've had? Um, since the early days, or was there yeah. a period in the middle? It's kind of like similar in a way because when you when you sort of best made from growing ups playing for the team, you obviously get a lot of sort of you get a lot of information, most of which you can't publish. So we were kind of like close to the playing side <clears> then. Whereas now, obviously the um, the board have been sort of like mega friendly and open. But I think it was sometimes when we, when we first met them, like before the takeover was announced and it was all hush-hush, it was one of the things that, you know, that I said, like, this is what this is what I want to happen and it needs to be across, like, all fan media, you know. I'm not saying they wouldn't have done it anyway, but it was something that I just sort of said, like, it's not just for me, it's for, like, it's for everybody. And that's how, that's how you need to connect back with the fans, you know, which had obviously been completely lost. And I think towards the end of last season... Adam Kappa, who was head of media at the time, um, he was pushing for it, and we did get a couple of things where they would, but obviously things were going so bad they were just trying to mend fences. But I think there's been that there's been that theory within a for a while, but obviously certain people within the club didn't think that was the way to go. Or I think I think we got like an interview with with George Honeyman, but then in that same interview we had short out on the cover, so it was kind of like, well, we've given you that. But then you've put Short out on, and I was like, "Yeah, but Short wants to go. We're just trying to help them leave." And yeah. now he's gone. Everything's better, you know. Um, so, but you can't like bias, you know. Yeah. If you're going to give us a player interview, we're going to ask the questions we want to ask, and people are going to find that more interesting as opposed to you know, sycophantic, you know. But I think like the, all all the all the local media, it's it's more open for them where they, they feel as if they can. I think in the middle stage, we used to do interviews and. It would be. I mean, it was probably the same for you when you were at the Sunday Sun, and I know that it was really where you had you had to like either submit the questions, or there was copy approval, or there was somebody listening in on a third line, or there was somebody sitting there with you, and you don't get the same type of interview as you would if you just allowed to have like a one-to-one conversation oh, with the player because the, the player doesn't say. open up either because he he's scared to say anything, and then it, you end up getting better interviews from people that have moved away from the club because then. There's a start, a middle, and an end to their Sunderland story. Um, so, kind of like the player interviews, either just became really boring and they didn't say anything, or they were stopped. And then we sort of went down the road of, of former players. And so, I think for every problem that's been thrown at us, like sort of when access stopped, you know, I think when we first started, we had a meeting with Bob Murray and he gave us a press pass, a photographer's pass. We didn't even necessarily want them or ask for them. And um, they didn't really know how to go on with the fans in but then when we started 
writing negative stuff as the club were heading towards the league that we're in now and the Mick right. Buxton like they, they took all, they took those rights off us you know but I don't think they they ever thought that they could buy us like and sort of buy our, our coverage or you know or water us down so that I think I think as the fanzine movement was starting I don't think the clubs really knew I only know about how Sunderland was but I don't think the clubs really knew how how to treat fanzines do you think that's no I think that's absolutely true like the, 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 I don't, let's be honest I don't think they really knew how to treat the fans like like full <laughs> stop you know what I mean like 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 most like most clubs at the time there the, the, the were there were there was no I don't know there was no real connection that like that they, they certainly didn't try to get people that like it it was take it or leave it wasn't it you could mm. turn up and pay your money or not and and like they didn't at the time at that time it was a dark time for the club and they didn't seem sort of particularly bothered I think as well like um, I think it's really interesting what you're saying I think people's appetite if you want for player interviews has really gone down as well because that people are so used to players communicating in a different way and I think they also became used to the fact that every player that you see and interviewed on every platform has pretty much been coached in what they should say and what they mm. shouldn't say so you end up getting like formulaic interviews that are like really sort of yeah so, so you kind of herald this like you, exclusive yeah. but yeah 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 well, I mean on the other I, side of it on the because I do stuff in the music industry as well when I'm working with bands and then the press come in and I'm like sort of TM in a band tour managing a band and then I'll I'm looking after the press that are coming in to like make sure the interviews happen and stuff, and then the band sit down and then go like, "Oh well, I was completely blooded last night," and then they're just saying all these things, and I'm almost kind of going, "Hang oh, on a second, like," and it was just like, "Oh no, actually, you're allowed to say what you want yeah, in this industry, yeah. and you see other industries where the interviews are are free and easy, but for some strange reason in football, there's just been this thing about like it's a game of two halves, the lads are given a hundred percent, like all these football yeah. cliches that are almost like trained." And I think it's changed a bit with Twitter and stuff, but yeah, and I, I think well, part of the thing is like it, it, if they do have the temerity to say anything like interesting, it gets like totally used as clickbait, doesn't it? Do you mm. know what I mean? If somebody says something vaguely interesting, that, like you know, I don't know, one of the Northeast paper reporters or you even, you know mm. what I mean? Like I, I think they're they're so worried that like it's going to be played up because it's something interesting and. Do you know what I mean? Things pick up, pick up the role. And then they get on social media, like don't they? Yeah. yeah, exactly. I think right. Bowley always got it quite well, got it about right, because he would do an interview and he would say what he thought. And I mean, we've all interviewed That's right. Bowley. I, I, I agree and, with and that. Then he, and then he would ask to like check it beforehand just to make sure he hadn't like dropped himself in it. Um, he probably couldn't do it in a podcast way. but And he was never really that much of a sort of stern editor, but he just wanted to do... If he knew that you were going to, that it was going to be checked, you maybe would have written it up slightly differently. Um, whereas if you interview someone over the phone who lives in Denmark, who right. used to play for us, right. you might be tempted just to kind of like spice it up a bit more, right. you know, just to kind of get a better interview. He had a really good understanding of, like, of it all, to be fair to him. Like like a few years later when I was working in papers, I did, we were on the verge of promotion and I did an interview with a odious character, Alan Brazil. Do you remember him? <laughs> At the time he was a... He was like one of the one of the sky pundits, yeah, you know. He was doing that. core commentary <clears throat> and talking like loads, you know. And um, basically, he proper let himself his mouth run, totally demolished the whole team. And like one of the people he picked on was Bowley because he was playing central midfield mm. at the time, and he like said all this about like imagine him playing centre midfield in the Premier League, blah blah, you know. And like quite understandably, Bowley was like a bit upset about it, you know what I mean. Even though he understood it wasn't me that had said it, yeah. it was like in an interview that I had written. You know what I mean? So he like he did like wh when you look back, it was really clever. He hauled us in, like like in front of like all the rest of the first team because obviously he felt like he'd undermined him a bit as captain, mm -hmm. like probably you know which which it, it might do. I don't know. Anyway, and in front of all the all the lads, he gave us you know like like Bolligan. yeah like <laughs> like the mother of them all. You know what I mean? And it was proper like humiliating being like proper dished up by him. You know. And then, like, later that morning, I got a phone call off him and he was like, can I meet you for a coffee? And I like, went and meet for a coffee somewhere that afternoon. He was like, you know, I'm sorry the way that played out, but you understand, like, why I had to how do it. I it, understand yeah. it wasn't you that's saying it, you know what I mean? But, like, you know. It's like, weird happening, like, isn't it? We got, we got player of the season in the... Uh, yeah, exactly, the exactly. Yeah, I, probably you know, drove him on. You know, yeah, and, yeah, and, and I, think, I, I, I think it, like, turned into a really good tool for, like, bonding the rest of the team, like, together, you know what I mean? I think, like, we played at Arsenal relatively soon after that. And... um 
they did like I can't remember who scored, but the whole team did a celebration oh, yeah, from where they did Mickey the Gray, yeah, That's game. right. That's oh, right. right. Yeah. Uh, uh, I remember a time when that was kind of like in the wake of that. Yeah. It was a sort of a expression of support for him. So I'm I hope you're well, Paulie. By the way, <laughs> I'm not saying who it was, but there was one of our writers who's gone on to work in other media's that that's that we that we did a piece with, and he and he pretty much like slagged off the team that hadn't won for a while, and. Um, it was actually the team that finished seventh at the end of that season, but we had not got off to a good start. And he went along. He went along to the Charlie Hurley Centre as it was at the time, and he was asked to go around the back of the Charlie Hurley Centre with Steve Bold and Niall Quinn, and he was like lifted and pinned up against the wall and in sort of shouted at in no uncertain terms. Um, but then they were great with him like the next time. But it was, right. I think that's how. Like obviously now, people would probably sue people for that. Um, you know, like sort of physical harassment, um, you know, but um, at the time it was a bit like sort of being in the army and I've spoken to players who've been like pinned up against the wall by the manager and almost like hung up on the... On, on, on the like, code on, peg, on, on the code peg. You know, Michael Bridges, I remember telling me a story about it once where he's pretty much just like crap in his pants. Um, but then he went out the second half and, and scored a couple of goals and that's, I think that's the way it used to be in, in football. But obviously, when you're a fan and you've like loved these people and you admire them, when they kind of give you a, a massive bollocking, it gets the adrenaline going. You feel a bit anxious, and it's it's a bit of a strange feeling because you you kind of start the magazine because you love the club so much, and then when you kind of when you write so, or you publish something, not normally write it that they don't agree with. That's how it was kind of dealt with, you know. Mm. So in a way, I guess press officers coming in would like form that barrier, but they'd also form a barrier that would stop you getting any access, you know. Mm. Whereas if you, I think when our interview stopped for a period, players would come in, come in here. Well, the old ALS next door, and oh, why have the interview stopped? They were good crack, and I was like, well, I've applied for an interview with you, and I've been told no. And I was like, well, I wasn't even asked. So there's obviously lots of things that go on behind the scenes and the way journalists are punished and banned and and dealt with, particularly under like sort of previous regimes where it was a bit more, where it was a bit more kind of like. Probably like being, yeah, right. confrontational and physical and like the man's game. Whereas now, like I say, you, you can't do that kind of thing because you know people end up on, you know, we we know journalists that ended up on the sick, you know, through anxiety and and stress. And I think people recognise those things these days. Where in where in those days it was more you just got threatened, mm. <laughs> and if you if you didn't if you didn't couldn't live with it, then <clears throat> you weren't a man, you know. I mean, we should probably wrap it up because we should Fair probably enough. talk about the match. But to finish. Why don't you tell us about a time where the closest you've been to having your head smashed in by somebody from the club? I'm sure somebody's <laughs> headed over here and gone, "Why have you done this? Why have you done that?" Maybe Bawley. I don't know. This, well, at least I don't know. I don't know which one to choose. To be honest with you, I'd, I'd from quite... just Bawley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could probably, I probably could have ran faster than Bawley back then. Thankfully, probably had to. Um, <laughs> Peter Reid was the one not to not to fall out with. Um, I had a few grapples with him where I thought it was going to be a proper fight, um, and I didn't like I didn't react. But he was he was being aggressive with me, um, and sort of like you know a bit like a sort of playground situation. But I think it's the way I think it's like I said I think it's the way that they all, they didn't actually think there was anything wrong with it. It's the kind you know I think if you if you dragged up in in the back streets of Liverpool, that's how you like sort of live your life, you know. And that's how he kind of went on as a manager. I think even when Quinny was chairman, he'd he'd like ring me up or, or call me in and say like, you know, why have you written this about this person? And then and then I would explain that the person that had written that devotes the life and the all this all the spare money to supporting Sunderland. And the player that they'd written it about was a forward who'd scored four goals this previous season when we got relegated and had ultimately failed at the job. And and then and then we'd kind of agree to disagree, and he'd sort of see my point of view, and then. So he was a bit more sort of diplomatic about it, but he'd, he'd sometimes start off quite angry. But like I say, I think it was just, I think it was just the way that that people dealt with those things at those times. And I never, I never enjoyed that. I never enjoyed that side of it. You know, I never, I never sort of like threw any punches back. Um, but you know, there the were there were certain times where you thought like, like, why am I doing this if this is the way I'm going to be treated by the people that that are running the club? You know, but. Um, but what's what's tended to happen over the last thirty years is they've all gone and I'm still here. 
Well, that, that, that is what happens, isn't it? I'd like, absolutely, that's the nature of it. Because they're not fans, they're like their employees, you know what I mean? It's not for life for them, you know? Yeah. Exactly, like the, they're here and then they're not. Yeah. Don't mean that sort of disrespectfully. But no, that's the case. That's the way the game works, that's isn't the it? That's the case. Um, but obviously, as always, you can buy um, ALS from, from in the cafe before the games. Three quid. Three, three quid well spent, probably. Oh, is it? Oh, Sell it. What's in this episode? In this episode, what's in yeah. this uh, issue? Quickly, don't, don't you should know. Don't read. Don't read the whole list. <laughs> well, the highlights. The wise men say columns will be highlight. I haven't read it. Like well, Richard the, the, the wise men say columns celebrates their five years and, and not, it, not our thirty years, but because um, we were inspired by people, <laughs> all the hard work, you're the, you're the trailblazers. Without yeah, there's people an like, interview, uh, there's an interview with Jimmy Montgomery, who's obviously the club's top time all time appearance maker. So we wanted to have someone, you know, iconic in this issue. There's also an interview with Grant Ledbetter, which is quite nice because obviously, you know, I got to know him the last time he was here and he is a proper Sunderland lad and got his family used to travel on the buses to the games and his dad's passed away, but I got to know him well and he's a really nice, was a really nice guy. And, and then I got a message, you know, off like off Grant saying, can you drop off a couple of magazines? So it shows that like the players are actually interested in, in reading it, particularly the ones that like are Sunderland fans, you know. There's, there's a piece that Jez has written, which is fantastic. And um, <clears throat> Sam, who used, Sam, who used to work here, works at the club now, has written one. Phil Smith from the Echo. There's a few people who've who've kind of cut the teeth here and gone on to, to greater things. So we kind of like focused on that. Um, but then there's also obviously the usual drivel about like how we're doing and you know like so, drivel. So, so we've three pound well spent the usual <laughs> drivel. we'll try to have a balance between yeah. self-congratulation and in in fan opinion um so hopefully hopefully it's not crap there you go i think that's a great way to leave it and when we come back we're going to talk about the match i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Jack Ross, and you're listening to the Wise Men Say podcast. So, we won again. That's three wins on the bounce after that. What you could officially call the sticky patch, maybe. Now, if that is the sticky patch, I don't know if we're allowed to call it the sticky patch until the end because we hadn't we hadn't lost the game and we scored every time. That's it, isn't it? And he got a bit annoyed, but we didn't we didn't play well for a couple of months, and I think that's that's just a fact. But we we kind of managed to stumble our way through. The games and remain unbeaten, and you know it's a shame. It's it's obviously if that is going to be our sticky patch, if that's going to be our bad run, then I'll settle for that because we didn't we didn't get beaten. We we stayed in touch. I mean, would you argue that? <clears throat> I think there's an argument made on Saturday was probably the best we played at home in our first half all season. I mean, played very well in the Peter game, obviously the Barnsley game, and blew them away. But you know, with the new players coming in, it did feel as though. You know they were really tightly knit, and in the, in they knew exactly what everybody was doing. The way they were moving the ball around the pitch, in that first half in particular. Well, as is weirdly the way these things are found down the years, I can't actually comment on the first half on Saturday because it's the first home game I've missed this season. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm uh, glad to But um, <laughs> because I had it's a good time to come engagement. on the show. But um, but um, I think it's really interesting what you what, what you say there, Gareth, and, and like um, what I think like. W- w- the frustrations of that spell were that, like during pretty much every game, a lot of the draws there were there were spells when it like really did like come together and we w- and we were like proper at it and it just seemed like we weren't 
at it quite enough of games to actually like turn the performances into points, you know, like in the wins. Um, and like obviously they've started doing that now, um, and 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 that's what it's all about. Like hopefully they're picking up a bit of um, a bit of rhythm and momentum. And, and like you say, hopefully that that was like our sticky patch. Like if it was, it's not a bad one. And like we managed to stay in touch. And I think it's like. Yeah. Still, like you know, obviously we've got a massive game coming up with Barnsley, and, you know, um, like a, a semi-final on Tuesday night as well. So, I um, think during that period when we weren't playing as well, we obviously had the whole Magic thing going on. Even when he was playing some of those games, so there was all that uncertainty, and we kind of like so we lost our top goal scorer. Which, if you look at it historically, when Marco left and when Phillips left, it had like a massive impact on the team because you've got no like spearhead. You know, it's kind of. When Bent left, obviously right. you have you get round it, and no no players bigger than the club, and people come and go. But it's actually just dealing with it, and then obviously he Magic left, and then Grig was like settling in, and he didn't he didn't like hit the ground running, even though he's been playing really well in terms of his overall play and stretching the play, which has given McGeady more space. Um, he still hasn't like he still hasn't hit the ground running in terms of. In terms the goals. Of goals scored, I mean, not. I mean, know? but he's, he's, he looks like a good player, you know. He so, does, doesn't he? So we've had that transitional period, and we've kind of come through it, and we had a lot of games, and obviously teams have got to that point where the, the kind of they were coming and having a go, like Oxford did earlier on in the season and stuff. But like now, we've had teams that have just been coming and parking the bus. So I think he's. I think the like Jack Ross has had to sort of develop the fullback play, and you know, like have people coming out, like sort of defenders being more attacking because if you've just got like if they've all got their men behind the ball the midfield are just going to pass it mm. around you know um, and a lot of players like Gooch tend to cut in a lot um, whereas like Morgan showed on Saturday mm. that like both wingers were stretching the team using the full width of the pitch and then both full backs were overlapping um, so hopefully we've come through it but I think the big difference for me is the fact that we've got like Ledbetter and, and Catamull that look that looks like a solid base. It's a funny one with Catamull, isn't it? Because when we signed Ledbetter, um, Catamull was um, out of the team because um, he was injured. And I think a lot of people were discussing the best midfield combinations incorporating Ledbetter because he was obviously going to play every game when fit. Um, and even I think people were thinking, well, Catamull might not get in. And then as soon as he was fit again, he's come back in. And the two of them together have been, you know, the look. You know, a class above this level together, don't definitely. They? And I think what like what they've given us as well, like it's a bit of an unfortunate cliche, but they've made us a bit more like streetwise. I think I think there were, there were like there were there were times like especially during like some of the home games where like the time wasting tactics and all that and the and the little like niggling things that teams were using to frustrate us and that like we're actually like getting at people a little bit, you know. And I think it's I think it's it's helped us like rise above that. Whether that was one of the things they talked about in the wake of that Friday night. I mean, mm. game like I don't know, you know, but I, I think I de- definitely see a, 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 a like the, they're like more sussed and more more together, um, which I think is excellent. And also, like um, I don't know, you don't like to applaud like people like twisting, but like everybody else we've played this season has had like one, sometimes two players who were just like in the referee's ear like all the time, just like following them around the pitch, mm. like twisting at them, and like it's it's unfortunate to talk about. It is like part of the game, <clears throat> and I think like. I think like Catamore and Ledbetter give us like more in that department as well. You know what I mean? We definitely lack. I mean, we talk yeah. about that every week. That we're not, we're not. Other other teams do it to us, and we just let them. You know. Yeah. So, so many teams just like stand in front of the ball when we've yeah. got a free kick, Aye, which you can't get away with in other leagues. Whereas I'd be tempted just to kick the ball against them because it's like an instant yellow. Although it probably isn't in League One. Yeah. It's probably just like... Red card, max power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I, to the other team. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, 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 I think with, with sort of Ledbetter, Catamull, Grigg and McGeady, they've all got experience in Mouse. And I think they kind of like, they just look a little bit in there. And, and obviously then the young players, it takes the pressure off a lot of the young players. Honeyman's a young captain. Um, a lot of the work he, he, he does do goes... People don't notice because he does so much mm. running. But for an attacking midfielder, he obviously doesn't score as many goals as you'd as you want him to. But he, he got one at the weekend. You know, he's he's doing well. He keeps, but then he keeps going. No matter. I mean, that's been a feature of this team. And you, can, you know, I think it's encapsulated in the amount of games we haven't lost. I know mm. people have been happy, happy with the draws, but they do keep going. Um, you know that that front four. Mm. I would argue since Madger left, 
Um, I'm not trying to be revisionist, but with Grig, I think it looks a lot more dynamic. I think Grig does a lot of stuff that Madger um, didn't do, and I'm not, that's not a criticism because he's a different kind of player. I but I think you. all of a sudden, with Grig doing the stuff he's doing, I think McGeady's come a bit more alive. Well, in, he's creating in, in more the, space the, yeah. for McGeady yeah. because yeah. he's because he's taking he's running on the shoulder of the last defender, stretching them. And I think I think if O'Neill played in an attacking midfield role. He'd create even more of that. Um, I mean, he's been excellent he's doing, right back. He's been doing a great right back, but then so was Matthews. But then, obviously, we're going to be having like two games a week for quite a lot of the, the weeks yeah. coming up. So, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he maybe's played Matthews, you know, tom- tomorrow I mean, night. You know, but he, as long as he doesn't do a poyed at Hull type selection. Well, you got you could talk about feeling a weakened team right tomorrow night if you want to call it a weakened team or a, a fully changed team. You'd have Reuter, Matthews. Um, Ozturk, Baldwin, Baldwin probably um, James would retain his place because Hume's not ready yet, and uh, apparently he's injured. fit now. Or is like, he well? Just not much fit. Yeah, but, might be yeah. a bit. Yeah, might be a bit tight, and then you'd potentially have McKeogh and Power in the middle. Um, you'd have Gooch on one side. You'd have White up front, um, <laughs> and it sounds actually I'm, I'm talking rubbish. It's a terrible idea. Just start the. But it's still it's still <laughs> a, it's still a strong 11. team. But yeah, and but I don't I, know who'd have on this side. But my point is, they've got. We've you got know, cover if, if you started the season with that eleven you've named, you'd be mm. going fans just to go up here. You know, yeah. you probably would, wouldn't you? So, I, I think actually Bristol Rovers. Um, I know we're kind of merging the two games together. Obviously, mm. going ahead tomorrow as well. But I think the lad who scored a hat trick is probably out tomorrow. Do you get? I don't know what the rules are in check a trade trophy. They just seem to make them up as they go along. But I don't know if he can be cup tied because he was a Coventry. I'm assuming he probably played for Coventry in one of their games in the in the yeah, tournament. Yeah, I, I was looking to see. The, the players that we brought in over the um, over the window sort of period where like how many of them would be cup tied I don't think there's any Which, is there because I, I think we signed them all we didn't sign anybody from within our division did I we? didn't have Spurs in the 21s kind of like, no, that's a good like point, played actually. in it but apart from that mm. obviously the one you know like Morgan's come from Scotland so it's like Grigg didn't play in it um, Ledbetter obviously didn't so yeah so like yeah, I mean, I think he's got a, he's got a strong team to choose from, you know. Like, a, a, and I think they've taken it quite seriously throughout. I think from the start, you know, the, like the sort of word that I got was like, "Well, if we're going to be near the top of League One, then we should be one of the favourites for this for this cup." As you know, as Man U and Liverpool and mm-hmm. Man City would be, and like in the FA Cup. And if we do take it seriously and and sort of like treat it respectfully, obviously the. The, the team selections like really complicated at times when you're playing under 21s teams and you think well we could probably rest a few players yeah but actually we could also get fined if we mm. if we do players or something who've been in the match day squad or yeah. something stupid like that I don't know but I think as long as we take it seriously we've we've got a good chance and I think for Bristol Rovers it's like a no lose situation where I think they'll just go for it because they're not going to sort of They've obviously they've got a battle for the rest of the season, so this is their chance of like a bit of excitement. Uh, you know? Yeah, I'm, like like hands up, like I've been pretty skeptical about the competition right from the start of the season, just because the under twenty one like aspect, like um, which I, you know I've been to a couple of the games, like but um, I think I th- I'm really I'm intrigued by the way like Ross looks at it and and like whilst you can dismiss it as a competition. I was talking to a mate of mine the other week who wrote a book about Brian Clough and he was talking about Brian Clough setting his stall out to like win the Texaco Cup when he was first at Nottingham Forest and it like how it he saw it as like vital because it was a competition that could win pretty much just like what you've been saying about we're gonna be near the top of the mm. league. But and basically in later years, he put that Texaco Cup win down to being a massive part of changing the whole culture. And that was the Forest. first thing you know, he won, was the wasn't first it? Thing he won, you know what I mean? That's it. It's it? like it's like win a trophy, you know what I mean? Like, and I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. You know, hmm. you know how many you don't often get the chance to win a trophy as a Sunderland fan at, at Wembley. <laughs> no. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, if people, if we get like, I'm, I'm hoping we get the final. I mean, said from the start, I want to win that competition and then when we win it I'm going to go on about it loads I'm going to compare it to the Fairs Cup that's my plan I've already done that once and it got a really good response of anger 
from a certain Gareth section of the northeast. The people on Twitter. Um, so I that's that's which section you could I mean, name. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I've just I've compared it to the equivalent. It was great actually because I mentioned it. not that I'm obsessed or anything before anybody starts tweeting us. But it was quite funny. I just put it out there, tested the water, to see what happened, and I got a few going. Well, Barcelona won the first cup, and it was like, yeah, well, we'll in the Emirates Cup as well. So yeah. does that mean the Emirates <laughs> Cup's the equivalent? Does it? Mm. Well, yeah, this is it. So, you can't yeah. really claim to have won a trophy that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, can exactly. You know, yeah, yeah. And the only qualified, the only qualified because it was like the only city to finish at a certain level and. They wasn't were like it like fifteen was, in the table or something? Yeah, you couldn't I mean, have two cities because yeah, it wasn't yeah. meant. To, it was meant to. It was the city fairs in, encourage like trade between these cities yeah. or something. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah, but uh, anyway, but that's not the main reason I want to win it. But uh, you know, it would be funny. But you know, you go down there, you know, as I say it's five years ago at the day, and all the videos are going uh, not to the day, sorry, to the week mm. um, since we're at the. The, the Carlin Cup, not the Carlin Cup final, what was it called? The Capital One Cup final. Is it not cup the final. Oh, no. Yeah, whatever it is. One of the many beverages <laughs> and cups. Um, <laughs> something to drink about yeah, that. Yeah, um, But yeah, it's it's a, you know, it's a massive opportunity to, to ultimately enjoy yourself. And that, yeah. you know, I'll be devastated if we don't get the final because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, already planned it out, heading down there. I know I'm doing the night before, but where you're meeting, who's who you're going to meet, and you know, going to the game, and, and let's not count our chickens. But no, those. you're right. No, I know, it's I know, not. I know, but I that's what you, you, you know. You're lying if you haven't. I think. I think my how attitude. many how, how many people listening to this will have booked hotels that they can cancel Quite because they want to go. Uh, exactly, <laughs> and there'll be there'll be forty five you know thousand Sunderland fans go to that game. And like also, if we win, it probably is you know because because it's Portsmouth, it's not going to be. It's obviously going to be quite a competitive yeah. game with two teams that are quite near each other in terms of uh, ability yeah. and league position. Yeah, you know? and a decent crowd as well. You know exactly. I, mean, so. I think my attitude towards it is that if we lose tomorrow night, which I sincerely don't think we will, and hope that we don't, then it's just been a Mickey Mouse competition all along, <laughs> and it was a complete waste of time. Mickey Loff convinced me to go to Morgan. <laughs> Um, in, well, the, in the first one and if we win then I'm going to have like a great weekend in London well that's, that's it, it that's the only way to look at it I mean you probably to be fair if we get beat you'd probably have a decent weekend in London as well I mean no it, I'm a really bad loser so <laughs> I know but by the logic <laughs> I didn't speak a, to anybody for two days yeah. after the <laughs> after the man's that he but gave. by the logic that it, you know it's a Mickey Mouse competition you could still apply yeah. that at a final so you're alright you can, you can set that stall out I'll try and say that, that but having like only ever seen something fail at Wembley um it would be nice just to see them win yeah. this, you know, oh, win it. tomorrow night and 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 like win something. And I think if you get in the habit of winning, like we were saying with Cluffy and, st- and like you get that winning mentality. I mean, even if you look at the top teams, you know, Liverpool used to always win everything when I was growing up, and then they haven't actually won the league since. And then, man, you hadn't won anything for ages. And then once you sometimes you just have to win something little, mm. and then mm. you, and then you start expecting to win, or it's like, yeah, this is what we do here. Yeah, you know. It's not like oh well we got knocked out never uh, mind and like, like another one that, like my friend said as well like obviously we haven't got there yet but like if we did and we won it and things didn't pan out as we hope they do in the league what better preparation could there be for the playoffs than already oh, having won at Wembley and like putting that <laughs> whole like win no 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 I don't hate I, I don't <laughs> I want it to happen either, you know what no well I, I suppose yeah I suppose to win twice at Wembley <clears throat> in one year would be some kind of like. Major freak out for me. Well, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, to be fair, on the p- subject of things like the playoffs and cup competitions, I mean, we don't lose games, do we? So, you know, we, we draw, we have drawn games, and it's been frustrating. But we often haven't lost. So, if you're entering a, a cup competition, you know, primarily not lose, not losing is a fundamental part of progressing in that cup football. Yeah. <laughs> so, so speaking know. of which, I've got my contingency plan here because um, on Friday night. A Bulgarian man who who was one of the people who did right, the okay. run around the pitch. Are you want to admit this on the podcast? Uh, maybe not. <laughs> anyway, on the first of March in Bulgaria, the people swap these red and white bands, which doesn't work very well on a podcast or on the Man is wearing a red and white band. <clears throat> and he said that he said that yeah. will bring you luck until the next season, which is summer. So I said, well, okay, if we beat Plymouth tomorrow, I'll wear it for the rest of the season. So now I'm wearing this daft thing, um, and apparently. You know, I'm, I'm prepared to take responsibility if we, if we do get promoted by by getting this off a Bulgarian man and steals working man's club well, on like, Friday night. Obviously, I don't want to take like the podcast into Spooksville here, but like weirdly enough, 
I'm wearing some similar kind of assemblage myself. <laughs> Obviously, not, not great radio or podcastage, but they're, they're on a red, white, and black theme, and they were given us given to us by my mate Mustafa in Morocco, who assured me that, like, whilst I was wearing them, we'd keep winning. And to be fair, we have. We have. Um, <clears throat> well, so there you go, listeners. Well, there was a l- actually. So I'll now lose one on the bus on the way home and be <laughs> devastated. There was a lot in the peak, like Gordon Armstrong did the peak like, on Saturday. So thanks, thanks for for coming down again, Gordon, and thanks everybody who came along. Um, we do a raffle before to win some tickets and some other bits and bobs. And there's a guy went to see him. He was like, "I've got a pound coin that I found on the floor." And I was like, "All right." I was like, "Well, I'll tell you what. If it's a, let's say it's a lucky pound, I said I'll let you pick your ticket." Um, so he picked his ticket and it won out of about you know, 40 tickets or whatever so there you go I mean there's something in the air yeah there's magic in the air in Sunderland <laughs> there's all these wristbands that people have got you know from Bulgaria Morocco I have done own a wristband they haven't got a wristband you need to get the wristband get club. Yeah, you've got it, <laughs> what, what other mystical part of the world if anyone wants to tweet us and tell us which um, which has the best Mystical wristbands, even anywhere better than Morocco and Bulgaria, then you know I'm, 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 I'm all ears. Ah, oh, you need one, man. We'll, we'll, we'll get you one from somewhere. Martin will be selling them tomorrow. Mystical wristbands. Yeah. <laughs> well, exa- well, this is it. I need, I need Will Grigg to score some goals so these, so these lighters can, can all go. Although we are on the second batch, and I did give Will Grigg a lighter as well, but um, I hope he doesn't take up smoking because it could affect our. I'm sure it could affect our promotion. I'm sure he's professional for that. Like, but. Um, yeah, we'll probably leave it there then, I think. So if you're you know, travelling down to Bristol tomorrow, good luck, enjoy your journey. Maybe listen to this in the, one of ALS buses on the way down there. Um, but hopefully when Frankie's uh, back on Thursday with the preview pod for the for the game at uh, Wickham uh, at the weekend, um, we'll be you know talking about going to Wembley, um, which be would great. be an absolute joy after the misery of the last three or four years so don't take it for granted if we get there and you can get a ticket you know enjoy it and if we don't then um you know it's probably our fault because we've jinxed it or something and we all have to burn our wristbands yeah i'll be burning the wristband on the way back from Bristol if we don't win that's for sure <laughs> of course we'll be back on uh, monday i think Stephen's back um but yeah thanks for listening and uh we'll you know you'll be hearing from us in the week <laughs> Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.